Well, let me wish you a uh, happy first birthday as well. We decided uh, a few minutes ago that uh, Voorhees gets to celebrate anniversaries, and we get to celebrate birthdays, uh, since they're, uh, they're older than us, right? Uh, and so, uh, so we're, we're one year old, and I'm, uh, I'm ringing, but they're... Our crack team is on it back there. All right. So, uh, yeah, so happy birthday. Uh, also, I want to, again, just mention again something that Lonnie said about uh, next Sunday. Uh, I'm, she did a great job announcing that. I'm just saying it again because uh, repetition is a good way for us to remember. And uh, so I want to remind you that next Sunday, we will be meeting at the Chick-fil-A in Mount Laurel, which is just a mile down the road. You go back out of here, turn left through the industrial park. And then uh, it's on 38, where the Wegmans is. If you're uh, those of you from Mount Laurel who shop around here, it's at that Chick-fil-A. We'll have our signs out so you'll know uh, that we're there. And I am looking forward to how many people are going to show up thinking that Chick-fil-A is open. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. Uh, they're going to do that. What? That's a... Uh, from what I understand, the Chick-fil-A staff on occasion will have meetings or they'll be doing things in there on Sunday to set up. And when they do that, they say that someone always comes in. So, uh, so it will happen to us and that'll be exciting uh, and fun and we'll have a blast. Uh, so it's going to be a fun service. We got some great things planned uh, for us. Uh, it's going to be kind of like church in a round uh, or church in a booth. Uh, yeah, so we're, but we're, we got a, a, a neat little plan for us as we uh, begin our second year. Uh, and it's interesting how God works through these things. Uh, the theme for this has, was set uh, months ago, and we had, we had little idea that the Chick-fil-A was going to be the location, but I think you'll see how it connects really well with our series and next week's message. But you have to be there next week to see that. Uh, so, uh, so next Sunday at Chick-fil-A at 10.30, the Chick-fil-A in Mount Laurel. So we're in this series overall. It's called The Way of Jesus. And uh, we kind of, uh, although we were, it was part of the Christmas series, we kind of paused in a sense, but I want to reemphasize as we're wrapping this up, as we're looking at this way of Jesus, that in the book of Acts, if uh, you've been here for any of these messages, you know that in the book of Acts, there were people who had lived this dramatic or had this dramatic life change happen, and they were living different than the culture. And because of those differences within the culture and the way that they were living, other people observed that they were living differently, and that different way of living became a hallmark for who these people were, and they were identified as people who were living the way of Jesus. It was the way they lived, uh, not in the building, but outside the building. And so we believe as followers of Jesus that there is a way to live, a way that is identified with Jesus, and that way is the best way to live. And so we've talked about things like prayer, and we've talked about reading uh, the Bible and how the Bible informs how we live, and talked about having the Holy Spirit and trusting the Holy Spirit. And so now we're moving into this, this next uh, uh, piece, and this next piece of our story is how do we live the way of love? Uh, will be, uh, the Apostle Paul said this, and we're calling this series the most excellent way. Am I still ringing? I'm ringing in my head then. Okay, just, just making sure oh, that's okay. They, they don't hear ringing, I hear ringing. It's
many things. That's even better. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very last verse. He says, let me show you the most excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13, and that's the famous wedding chapter, right? The, the, um, uh, the love is this, love is that, right? Love is patient, love is kind, and all those things about love. He defines love, and Paul defines this way of love. But this is a series about the way of Jesus, not about the way of Paul. It's about the way of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to read something Jesus had to say about love, and we're going to use this for the next three weeks. And I'm, I'm going to challenge you at that this is something you've probably heard read before in church, but I want to challenge you to see and hear it with a different ears because I think there are some incredible teaching and it's some incredible challenge and encouragement for us. So it's in, uh, it's going to be up on the screen. It's from Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 34, and it says this. Now, so begin, Jesus is asked a question, so, uh, and we're going to see what Jesus had to say in response. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. Now, that, that's interesting. Just let me pause there. They're Sadducees and Pharisees. They're kind of like, let's imagine them as two different political parties. And they are having these conflicting philosophies, and no one will reach across the aisle and talk to the other one. So relatable, right? <laughs> but they saw Jesus as a common enemy. And so they met together and they said, let's put aside our differences and let's deal with this Jesus character. So they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, there were over 600 that Jesus could choose, but they were interested in hearing what Jesus said was the most important. So they wanted to kind of have Jesus. Basically, what they're asking him is, what's your life's theme? See, the rabbis would have something called a yoke. Uh, the yoke would be something that oxen were, you write two oxen would be used together, two animals would be used, and they would pull together in a yoke. But rabbis would have something called a yoke as well. And the idea was that it was your life theme. It was uh, uh, your interpretation of the Torah. How would you, uh, in, your, in essence, what is the Old Testament really all about? What are we supposed to follow? And different rabbis would have a different yoke or a different theme of life, and if you agreed with the rabbi and their theme of life or the way that they lived out Torah, then you would want to be yoked with that rabbi. And so they are using similar language here, and they're saying to Jesus, what's your yoke? What is your, what is your theme? How would you interpret all of the law if you were to boil it down to its essence? What is it? And so they're hoping that Jesus, this young upstart preacher, doesn't have a good answer. But won't they be surprised? As he says in verse 37, it's up on the screen, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now that's all this expert in religious law asks for. 
But then Jesus says, I'll give you the second one too, right? A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And Jesus, so Jesus answers, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's what Matthew tells us. And so I want to look at what does that mean, but then I also want to look at, but what does that mean? All right? So we're going to look at what does that mean, but what does that mean? Like there's, a, there's some meaning there beyond just the meaning that's there. Okay? Open your minds. Be prepared. Uh, don't just go right to Sunday school. Yeah, I've heard this before. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So our heart, all right? There's this, uh, uh, this idea that we need to love God, to value our relationship to God more than anything else in your life. So we're loving God above all other things. So my love for God is more than my love for pizza. That my love for God is more than my love for Hope Church. That my love for God should be more than my love for my spouse or my children. That I have that kind of love for God that it is all my heart. All my heart's in love with God. I love God above all other things. Love God with your whole heart. Then he says, love God with all your soul. And your soul is, 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 is less about relational. And it's more about maybe identification. Like, who are you? Like, it's that part of you that, that we believe lives forever. It's the part that never dies. It goes, it goes on into eternity, our soul. It's, it's who we are, right? It's made up of our mind. It's made up of our emotions. It's made up of our will. It's, it's, it's our person part, right? It's our, it's our psychological part in a sense too. It's this, it's this piece of who we are. It's our mind. It's our emotions. And it is largely connected to our heart. And we're going to see that these all have an interconnectedness to them. And so our soul is, we're saying that we're going to love God with all of our soul. It's we're lo your love for God is who you are. You're identified by how you love God. So it's love God with all your heart, love God with all your soul. And then he says, love God with all of your mind. Loving God with all of our mind includes the thoughts, uh, the thought that we will grow in our faith, that love, it, it defines what we believe in a sense. It informs our whole belief system that, that, we're, not, that we're intellectually connected to understanding and, ex, and, and experiencing God. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. Love God with all your mind. Now, Mark's version of this story adds a fourth one. It says, love God with all your strength. Uh, so strength is our love in action, I guess you could say, right? That loving God by what you, you and I do and say, right? It's honoring God with our abilities and our resources and our actions. And so it seems as if Jesus is saying that love, loving God, is comprehensive of all that we are. Love God with your heart and your soul and your mind and Mark adds and your strength. And all of us have this one way that we may love God more than in those other ways. For some, uh, relationally, you can say, I, 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 can, I can relate to loving God that way. And for others, it's an intellectual understanding. Like you were like, oh, small group. Oh, is that, if that's going to do, a, if that's a Bible study, I'm all in. 
right? Because you're like, intellectually, I want to I make that kind of connection to God. And for others, you're, you, it's, it's worshiping with, with the music and those pieces, and you're like, when he gets up to talk, I am so checking out. Because that's the part I'm least interested in, right? So, so there's all these, each, each person has a different way they bring these things together. And there's one piece that we may be more, more easily identify with, but it doesn't mean that we dismiss the others because we're to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That we love God above all other things. That our love for God defines who we are and our love for God determines what we believe. Okay, so while all that is good, I think there's more to what Jesus is saying here. So we have to dig a little bit deeper. First, we have to recognize that we may miss some things because we're 21st century readers. That Jesus, when he's asked this question, is quoting from an Old Testament scripture. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's an Old Testament reading that contains what the Jewish people called the Shema. And the Shema was one of the most important passages, maybe the most important passage of Scripture in the entire Old Testament. And it functioned as a kind of creed for Judaism. And observant Jews would repeat the Shema, this declaration, often, at least two times a day when they woke up and when they went to bed. But for many, more than that. It was a statement of loyalty that the ancient Israelites began making to God and continued and will continue to this day and does continue to this day. And the Shema was this, listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And that was this creedal statement made by the Jews. The rabbis taught that reciting Shema was not a hollow ritual, but it was a matter of the heart. Those who were observant Jews, the Shema was the central teaching of the entire Old Testament scripture. Jewish culture took the Shema very serious. It was part of their life. It, was, it, was, uh, it meant renewing your relationship with God. And you would do this, like I said, several times a day. The Shema taught that life itself was all about loving God with every part of who you are in response to all that God has done for you. So I want us to look, since we're 21st century readers, not first century listeners who would have heard Jesus say this, and I want us to read from Deuteronomy. Because I believe that when those men and women who were in attendance that day heard Jesus speak, and they heard Jesus say, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, that they would immediately have been drawn to this passage. And they would have had this memorized, and they would have known exactly what Jesus was quoting. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. That's the Shema. Verse 5, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your strength. 
And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so I'll leave that up there for a few minutes. So the first part, it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. That's the Shema. That's the who and what of Israel, the who and the what. That God is God alone, that's who. And we are to love him with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And then the verses that follow, that are up there on the screen, the verses that follow, they detail the particular how that the faith is to be lived out. So let's go through some of the things. First thing it says is, repeat them again and again to your children. Loving God was a family thing. That God was a part of the intimate relationships within a family. It's about all of us. It's about a conversation. Loving God is a discussion. Loving God is something that we teach to our children. See, because what I'm figuring out at going to be 54 years old is that who I am at home is a better definition of who I am than who I am in front of you folks for an hour on Sunday. And so how my family responds and relates to God is more important and is better defining of who I am than how you all respond and understand about God. Because if God has an impact in my life, it certainly should be something that's at home and part of who I am. Not just on Sunday when I stand in front of you all. And so for us, something that I have, I've mentioned this before, that has been important in our family is family dinner time. I did not start that. Kelly started that. Uh, I grew up without that. I didn't know family dinner time. Family, it was, the refrigerator was stocked, and I just ate. That was how it worked in my house. But in Kelly's family, sitting around the dinner table was important. And her sisters and her mom and dad would gather together, and they would talk. And the first time I came over, I was only interested in Kelly. And I had to meet sister and mom and dad and engage in conversation and was like kind of blown away by it. Like, hey, you guys talk about your day? It's weird. Can't we just grab some food and leave? And I found that I was attracted to that part of her life as well. And so when we got married and we had children, that became this thing. And now our kids are 23 and 20 and 16. And so only one of them is captive. <laughs> and so when we have all of us together, it is so valuable now because I miss it. Now I find that if I offer to go out to dinner, they show up more often. So it costs me more. <laughs> but they're all together. They're a captive audience again. And so the Old Testament 
instruction for the Shema is repeat them again and again to your children. When we love our families, when we, pra- we are practicing loving God with our families. So it goes on and it says, talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. So not only is it beginning and ending your day with the Shema, not you know, lying down and getting up, but it, it seems that if God's, our love for God is book-ending our days, it's all about loving God. Our relationship with God is a part of life, that our love for God is a portable faith, that it goes out and it goes in. It's everywhere we go. So it's our church world, our work world, our school world, our store world. And then it says this. It says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Now, there are parts of, I grew up going to church. And growing up going to church means that there were all sorts of rituals and things that you did that I never understood. Like, we had one of those things where I was an acolyte. Anybody here, anybody want to confess that they're an acolyte? All right, a few of you, all right, all right. I still don't know what an acolyte is, to be honest, or why you have them. All I know is that I had this long brass pole that had an open flame on it and a snuffer. So you were the candle lighter dude. That's the way I understood it, right? Now, there was some kind of ritual for that, and it probably had meaning, but no one when I was growing up told me why I was doing it. I just know that I walked up with a flame and lit the candles, and then at the end of church, you went up and flipped it over and now snuffed out the candles. I never knew why. It was just a ritual. So it became this empty ritual, right? Well, rituals typically have a meaning to them, and when we remember the meaning, then we go, oh, that's why we do those things. This is one of those things in Jewish, in, in Jewish, Jewish culture, okay? There was this ritual, and, and I, I'm kind, uh, lucky enough to have some friends who are Jewish, and one had at something called the tefillin, all right? Tefillin, tefillin, all right? Phylactery, all right? And it was what they wear when they are uh, uh, when, when they are reciting them Shema and when they're praying, okay? So it works like this. Yeah, they gave it to me. Sorry, I have to unwind it all. So on this is written the Shema and three other scriptures from the Old Testament that are important, kind of creedal again. And you would take this, and this one's broken, so I'm going to be really careful, but you would, this would go on your wrist, or on your arm, next to your, uh, on your left arm, next to your heart. It contains the scriptures. And so I'm just going to take this part off. That's the scriptures, right? And then it gets wrapped. Around, and there's seven times it's wrapped around your wrist. And then it gets wrapped around your hand seven times. And then it gets wrapped around your middle finger seven times. All right, so, and that would, that's supposed to stay somehow. I'm not sure how. All right, and then they would have this one that you wore around your head. And I'm not going to wear this one because, (laughs) but I'm just going to show you how this one works as well. This is somebody's grandfather's. I think I'm going to be really careful with it. So this one works something like this. 
All right, let's take this one off. There's really a reason for why I'm doing this. I promise. All right, so this one goes like this. And it goes right so that it's on your forehead. And then these drape down both sides. All right? So now you have the scriptures close to your heart and near to your head. And your head and your heart and your hands are engaged in the Shema. It seems to me as if we're talking about the things that we think and the things that we feel and the things that we do. In everyday conversations, in the way I get coffee at Wawa, is important to God. And the conversations I have at work are important and demonstrate my love for God. And then it goes on to say this, and this is my favorite, one of my favorite Jewish ceremony custom things. It says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's called a mezuzah. You've been to anybody, if you know a Jewish home, you'll see this. It'll be on the archway of the front door going in the house. And again, inside is written the Shema and three other scriptures. When we bought our home, the woman who owned it before us was Jewish. And it's the first thing I saw. And I went, oh, I hope she leaves it. You're kind of supposed to. She took it. I should have put it in the contract. I really wanted it, all right? Because I think it's one of the, the, one of the coolest things about, about the Old Testament and this, I did, uh, and this practice in Judaism. Jewish households would touch the, touch the mezuzah every time they entered the home and every time they exit the home. It was kind of a reminder that our love for God is inside and our love for God goes with us. That our connection to God isn't just property, but it's wherever we go. And a household is created by the people who live in it and by the way they act and the things that they do and the things that they don't do and the beliefs that they hold. So our love for God defines us. And so the ancients, as they would read Deuteronomy and as they would practice the Shema, they would understand that God is, a, a, we must give our total love to God, a love that dominates our emotions, a love which directs our thoughts, a love that uh, is dynamic in our actions, a love for God that infiltrates and addresses every part of life. And so I would suggest that Jesus' purpose in, in reciting or reading those verses, that the quoting that God should, that we should love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, that Jesus' purpose was to show that a person's total being is involved in loving God, that nothing must be held back because God holds nothing back for us, that all of life is a part of loving God. And here is why that is so incredibly important. We have, in the 21st century, 
we've defined things as secular or sacred, right? Like you have heard people talk about Christian music, right? Anybody, right, you've heard that, right? That there's Christian music, there's Christian radio stations, right? Or there are Christian t-shirts, right? Right? There's Christian schools, and there's, there's, there, there's things that we label. right? So let me go through some things, and you guys tell me if, the, if you think this would be sacred or secular. Okay, church. Sacred, okay? All right, this is audience participation time. Okay, very good. Okay, all right, that's that, all right so church is sacred, okay? All right, how about work? Okay, all right. How about small group? Okay, sacred. All right, how about... Football playoffs. <laughs> well, not anymore. <laughs> okay. How about how about how about your diet? <laughs> how about exercise? How about paying taxes? See. In the 21st century, we compartmentalize, right? We put things into categories. There are some things that are sacred. There are some things that are secular. Going to the grocery store, right? What is that? (laughs) Secular, right? Some things are sacred. Some things are secular. And so when we do that, we are saying that some things matter to God and other things don't matter to God as much or at all, right? So we put these categories on the things. Some are sacred, some are secular. We describe things like Christian bands and Christian t-shirts, and we have our church world and our work world. So we have our God box, and then we have our work box, and we have our rest box, and we have our entertainment box. And some people, I just heard someone talking and they said, you know what, he's really good at compartmentalizing those things. And they were saying it as a positive, that's a really good thing that he's able to do. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Oh, oh, you're, you think that's a good thing. Okay. I think that's not a good thing. Okay. So we give God a box and we give God a time slot. And we say we're being sacred now. And then when we leave, whatever it is we'll do next is less sacred or not sacred. It's something else, right? So here's what's interesting in the first century. There was no word for spiritual. If you were to Google search the Old Testament and look for the word spiritual, It does not exist. So if you were to ask Jesus a question and you were to ask, um, so tell me about your spiritual life, Jesus would look at you cross-eyed. And he would have said, spiritual life, I only have one life. Everything is a part of this one life. So if There's no word for spiritual in the Old Testament. That means there's no word for sacred, or or there's no word for secular. That means everything is equal in God's eyes concerning these things. So everything is spiritual. And if everything is spiritual, or another way to say is everything matters to God. So if everything matters, 
listeners to God, and there's only this one life, Jesus is telling those listeners and each of us that our love for God should impact, address, and influence every part of life. Our work life, our home life, our going out life, our sports life, our every life is all one life, and that's all that we have. So here's my challenge for you. It comes with a challenge, and I'm so out of time, but we still got to get to the challenge. I want to suggest that you mazusa your world. That you mazusa your world. That you choose to embed daily life with spiritual significance. That your daily life is a way to love God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. So you could masseuse your home. That would be really easy, right? You could just go out and buy one of these things. But to really masseuse your home, you need to know that every conversation is a spiritual conversation because there is no such thing as secular or sacred. It's your one and only life. So yesterday I listed the things I did and I actually did a lot, so I'm, not, I'm kind of proud to list them. Because uh, sometimes Saturdays are, I sat on the couch. But yesterday, I went to Lowe's first thing in the morning because I had some chores to do. And then I watched, I had college football, uh, basketball on all day because there were three great games. And I watched all of them to the end. But while that was on, I was also painting a room. I was uh, uh, also, I ate uh, throughout the day. Uh, I also prepared dinner. Assisted, well, yes, uh, and then I assisted in cleaning up dinner. We can get into how Kelly and I have our chores division, but we won't do that now. Uh, I drove Jordan to work, all right, she had work last night. And then while she was at work and while Kelly was uh, doing some work, I also did final prep on this message. Of all those things that I did yesterday, no one thing that I did was more spiritual than any other. So message prep or prayer that I did while I was preparing the message was no different than painting of the, bed, of the bedroom and no different than my trip to Lowe's. While I was at Lowe's, I was wearing a Villanova hat and I forget sometimes which hat I'm wearing. I'm a Kentucky fan. I've always been a Kentucky fan. My son goes to Villanova, so now I have to represent Villanova as well. And as I'm wearing this Villanova hat, this older gentleman was there and I thought he was trying to sell me something. And I kind of blew him off at first because he was like, and he mentioned something of Villanova, and I'm like, yeah, all right. And, and I'm standing there waiting for the paint guy to engage me so I can get the paint that I need. And he keeps talking to me. And I'm like, why is this weirdo talking to me? Right? Because I'm just getting paint. And then I realize he's talking to me at Villanova. And I realize I should, be in, I should engage him because that's the kind thing to do, right? Not just ignore him, especially when I realized he wasn't selling me anything. And so how I respond to the people I see in Lowe's is just as spiritual as how I prepare the message. So mezuzah your home. How can you mezuzah your calendar? Every appointment, every event, every birthday in your calendar. It's your one life, one life following Jesus. And your church friends and your work friends are just your friends. There's not a distinction between them. They're all your friends, and they all are loved by God, and they all have a spiritual destiny, and you can be part of connecting them to their Father that loves them more than you can imagine. You can mezuzah your work and your office space 
Imagine at work embodying Jesus in everything you do, whatever you do, doing the best job possible at what you do and doing it with integrity and honor and good character because how we live at work matters. So if you're a construction worker or an engineer or an accountant or a teacher or a dental hygienist, get this, you're not a Christian construction worker or Christian engineer or a Christian whatever. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus and you're a dental hygienist or a financial planner or an engineer or fill in the blank. So we do our work, whatever it is, as followers of Jesus because there are no compartments to life. So when we mezuzah our lives, we're acknowledging that we have this one and only life to give. And we have all of this life, and all of our life is to love God. And when we love God with all of our life, our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, that love will impact and address and influence this one life we have to live. So the way of Jesus will shape every facet of our life. It means that you'll show up for, for your job as an accountant or a teacher or whatever it is that you do, and you'll do your job really well, and the world will be a better place because of it. And that every day when you show up for work, whatever your work is, you'll embody the way of Jesus so that your boss and your co-workers and your clients will all get a glimpse of what Jesus's way is all about. And hopefully, a conversation will take place where you can share, this is why I live this way. When everyone around me has flexible integrity, I'm going to choose to live this way. Not because I work at a Christian accounting firm, but because I'm a Christian and I'm an accountant. It means you'll show up at your kid's soccer game and you'll coach and you'll encourage the best way possible and those students will benefit from your life. It means you'll go through the grocery store living one life and how we live will reflect our love for God. And it's loving God with all of our hearts and our soul and our minds. It is to mezuzah our worlds. See, how we live reflects our love for God and our love for God reflects how we live. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so, God, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you, God, for the tradition found in the ancient Jewish culture. And how, God, these practical ways of living and remembering our love for you can be used for us in the 21st century. So God, I pray that as men and women of faith, we would love you with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our minds and all of our strength. And that God, we would live this one life, not compartmentalized, but knowing God that you are a part of every part of life. And so how we live reflects our love for you. And how we love you will reflect how we live. And God, I pray that that would be our heart's desire. God, that we would know that 
it's the best way for us to live. Now, I pray that as you go, you would go knowing that there's a God that loves you with his whole heart, that he loves you enough that he would rather die than live without you. And that there's a world out there that is desperate to know that kind of love, and they will discover that kind of love by the way we live. And I pray that that would encourage you and inspire you and challenge you. And have a great day. Amen.